we get started uh, on this series of heaven, I heard this uh, story this uh, last week. There was a guy uh, who had some um, major anger issues, and so one of the ways that he learned to cope with his anger is he would go to the gym and work out. So he's a really, really strong guy, and, and he came back to um, his condo. Now, his condo was about the 35th floor of this apartment complex, and he got to, you know, as they walked towards his do- door, he realized something was wrong. And he, and he kind of pushes his way in and notices that he has been robbed. And, and so uh, all that adrenaline, uh, all that anger, all that fury just rises to the surface, and he just sprints around his condo, just looking to see, you know, if the intruder is still actually there. And he goes out to his balcony, and sure enough, there's this guy hanging on to his ledge. And uh, in his rage, he goes back, and he starts yelling at the guy, and he grabs a hammer, and he starts smashing the guy's hands. And so the guy lets go from 35 floors up. He hits one of these banisters and bounces in the bushes. The guy is so frustrated by what's going on, he grabs his refrigerator in this rage, and he pushes it over the edge. But as he's pushing it over the edge, he has a heart attack, and he dies. So he heads up, you know, to heaven, and there is St. Peter, who just asks him and says, hey, why are you here? He goes, like, you'll never believe what happened. I came home, got angry, you know, tried to push this thing over this, this elevator, had a heart attack. And he's like, wow, what a story. And so he lets the guy in because of his relationship with Jesus. Another guy right behind him comes up, and he says, well, tell me your story. How did you end up here? He says, well, I was painting on the 40th floor of this apartment complex. And I took a step back, and the harness that was holding me, it, it, it released me. But luckily, in my panic, I grabbed on to this ledge, this balcony on the 35th floor. But this crazy guy comes out and starts smashing my fingers and yelling at me. I'm yelling, please, no, please, no. And finally, I couldn't hold on anymore, and I let go. But luckily, I hit this banister, and it landed me in the bushes. And I said, thank you, Lord. And I looked up, and a refrigerator fell on me, and I died. St. Peter just shakes his hand and just says, you probably got to go to talk to that guy, you know, that was just in front of you. And so this, this third guy comes in and says, hey, what happened to you? He goes, uh, Peter, you probably know I've had a hard life, and I've made some really poor decisions. If it wasn't for Jesus and the grace of God, I wouldn't even be here today. And so he goes, one day, you know, I just felt like uh, I needed to go rob somebody. And so I go to this guy's, you know, apartment place on the 35th floor, and I start robbing him, and then I hear him come in. So then I decided to hide in the refrigerator. <laughs> Some of you guys are going to get that in a, in a second. We've been in this series, you know, uh, called Heaven, you know, and we've looked at it uh, based on what the Bible has to say. But one of the frustrating things about this topic of heaven is that there isn't like a chapter or a book that says heaven, everything you can expect or want to know. It's scattered throughout the entire Bible. And so a guy by the name of Randy Alcorn uh, did a lot of research and wrote the book called Heaven, uh, and it's really, really thick. If you want to go deeper into this, this subject that we've kind of skimmed the surface on, you're more than welcome to. As he looks at every single one of the scriptures and talks about what that could mean for us. And, and so in week one, you know, Tyler, you know, talked about that heaven is a place that should cause us to live differently here on earth. And we're going to kind of end our time together. In fact, the one thing that we're going to probably ask you uh, to remember as you leave is to remember a fork. Okay, so you're going to want to remember a fork. So just kind of hold that on in the back of your mind. Last week, uh, I I put on social media, what are questions that you have about heaven? And we've got hundreds of responses. And so like Randy Alcorn, we kind of put uh, five questions together, and we tried to address all of these. So in case you missed the last two weeks, 
here were some of the things that we did address underneath subtopics of these. What will the resurrected earth be like was one of the questions. Uh, what about animals? Always a fun topic. And so if you have curiosity of that, we answered that last week. Got some emails on that about cats if, in case you weren't here. Uh, what will our lives be like? And so we talked about the new bodies. What is all that about? And, and, what we, and then lastly, what will we do in heaven? It speaks to the, is it going to be boring? Because that's kind of the only image that we have and far from it. And so if you weren't here for any of that, please, please go back and take a listen. And so we, we got to the last question, which is, what will our relationships be like in heaven? And we ran out of time. And so we know that this one is probably the most uh, emotional one. This is probably the one that means the most to us compared to all the others. So we want to take some time, you know, hitting this and then wrapping things, you know, up as an entire series. Now, there are three things that my friend Dave, you know, told me, and I totally agree with him. Three things that will surprise us about when we get to heaven. Three things. Who's there, who's not there, and that you're there. Okay, those are going to be the three things that are probably going to surprise us the most about heaven. And so one of the confusing things that gets asked on a regular basis is if you study the Bible, the question becomes, where do we go right after we die? Where do we go? Now, we're all going to go be with Jesus. We're going to be in heaven if you believe in who Jesus is, which we'll get to in just a second. But there's two immediate thoughts out there. Number one is that when you die, you're immediately going to go be with Jesus. You pass away, your last breath on earth is your first one in heaven, some people have said. 2 Corinthians 5.8 would kind of give us that conclusion. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So it's an instantaneous thing that happens. The only problem with that is that there seems to be another scripture that lets us know that when we die, although we're going to go right to heaven, time no longer exists, and so we're kind of in this holding pattern. Now, for those of us who pass away, immediately we're going to be in heaven, but for those of us who are here, we may not immediately be in heaven. Now, let me tell you, this isn't just Dan's theory. Uh, I want you to notice this scripture, you know, with us that gives us encouragement, but also a perspective. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers, people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. Now, don't miss this. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. He's talking about the final judgment day. So, you have to kind of figure out which do you land on. Here's what's most important. It doesn't matter whether you believe someone dies and they go right to heaven or someone dies and time no longer exists and their next thing they remember is that they are on the final judgment day, which you can read about in Matthew 25, where Jesus kind of gathered everybody kind of together. Either way, here's what's most important. When you die, you get to go to heaven with God and with other people. There's no amens to that. Great. We'll keep going. Okay. Uh, I don't have time today, but there is also discussion about the new heaven and the new earth. You can read about it in Luke chapter 16, where they talk about a guy by the name of Lazarus and a rich man, and it helps answer the question of where did people go before Jesus? 
Where did they pass away? But because of time, you know, we're not going to be able to hit that, you know, at this moment. But that's Luke 16 if you want to research that a little bit more. So here's what's most important. Where we go when we die, like I said, we'll be with Jesus and we'll be with one another forever. But don't miss this. Depending on what we do with Jesus. This is not Dan's words. This is Jesus' words. This is key. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. So here's the reality. We cannot get to heaven based on anything that we've done, either good or bad. We only get to heaven based on what we've done when it comes to Jesus. Have we received? Have we accepted? Have we made him Lord? And have we made him our Savior? Now, uh, a really strong question came this last week. What about the person who accepts Jesus at the very end of their life, but they did incredibly horrible things in their life? And are they still allowed to go to heaven? That doesn't seem very fair. And here was the specific quote. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer, met on death row with a guy by the name of James Dobson, and he was told that Jeffrey Dahmer accepted Christ before he died. So does that mean that Jeffrey Dahmer will be in the same place as some of those in which he killed? That's a question to be able to process. And it got me thinking. At first, I was like, oh, man, that is hard. It's hard. Is that fair? Is that right? Then two things came to my mind. Number one, I read in the Old Testament a guy by the name of David. You might know him as King David. You know, David and Goliath, that was his high mark kind of of his life. David decided to sleep with Bathsheba who was the wife of one of his best friends, one of his mighty men. And not only did he do that, but to cover up that she was pregnant, he had her husband killed. And yet God says that in his repentance, in his asking for forgiveness, there would still be consequence here on this earth, but that his sins were forgiven. That's the greatness of our God. Uh, maybe another one is there's a guy by the name of Saul, uh, Saul uh, called himself uh, the chief of all sinners because before he accepted Christ, he actually persecuted Christians and oversaw the killing of one named Stephen. They, he was there killing Christians, overseeing the killing that took place. His name changed from Saul to Paul, and he wrote most of our New Testament. And so just like Jeffrey Dahmer he received the grace of God, even though he would say, if anybody doesn't deserve it, the Apostle Paul would say, it is I. And what's encouraging about this in one sense is that there's nothing that you and I can do that can separate us from God's love and connection. And on the other side, there's nothing that we can do that can give us entrance into this place called heaven. And it's hard for us to understand, even though there is major consequence on this side of eternity, God's grace holds no bounds. God's grace is there for all at any time, which is why he's so slow in returning because he wants all to come to him. Now, most importantly, we get to have relationships with one another in heaven as well as a perfect relationship with God. That's what relationships are going to look like. Now, in the Garden of Eden, you might remember, before there was sin, there was an understanding that it was not good that man was alone. So God, even in his creation, created us before sin to need relationship with other people. That's going to continue in heaven. God will be our God, but we will be connected with one another. Uh, for me, it gets even more personal. I think for you, this is why it becomes so much more emotional. On this Wednesday, it'll be eight years since my father has passed away. 
And so part of my encouragement, my excitement of heaven, is that not only do I get to spend that with Jesus, I get to spend that with my dad. And many of you have similar stories and relationships of those who have passed, either tragically or otherwise, that are awaiting you as well in the kingdom of God. And so it gives us hope. So we mourn, but we mourn with hope because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, uh, one of the humorous things that took place is that uh, in the few hours, final hours of my dad's, you know, before he passed, uh, I was there, but my younger son, Alex, who was about four years old at the time, kept saying, Dad, I want to be there. I want to be there when grandfather passes away. And we're like, no, we don't think it's a good idea, you know, for you to be there when grandfather passes away. And so he passes away, and a few hours later, I, I tell my son, I was like, Alex, you know, just so you know, grandfather passed away. And he got so mad. Never seen him so mad. He's like, oh, I'm like, what's wrong, buddy? Why are you so mad? He's like, because I wanted to be here when grandfather went to heaven. I said, I wanted to see him go up, you know, boop. And I was like, what is he talking about? The only concept of heaven that he ever had was watching cartoons. And cartoons, somebody would die and the spirit would go boop. And he goes, I wanted to see it. I wanted to see grandfather go up. I wanted to see that, and you didn't let me. And so we had a good laugh, you know, you know about that. Um, one of the, the, the great things that I got a, a privilege of, and I have no idea why I did this, but a few months before he passed away, my dad was in the hospital, and I pulled out my phone, and I asked my dad, who was also a pastor at the time, I said, Dad, what are your thoughts on heaven? What's different now, you know, as you know, you know, if this does not, you know, present a miracle or a cure, what are your thoughts? And so I wanted to kind of open up my heart and myself to you guys uh, and show you what my dad's thoughts are as it pertains to heaven from his own words, knowing that he's there now. Go ahead and watch the screen with me now. Uh, yep. I think it's, it's real interesting in the New Testament that prophets looked forward to the day when they would see the Christ coming and all the fulfillment of having the kingdom here. But it's only the New Testament times with the coming of Jesus that we have a revelation, a full revelation of what the heaven's going to be like. You've heard the scripture, I'm sure. Eye has not seen nor hath ear heard of the glories and wonders that God has prepared for those who love him. Hmm. The next verse says, but we have been told. And so as much as the mortal mind is able to grasp the immortal things, we've been told. And it sounds great. You read about heaven itself, my goodness. Um, it's just the language used, it just boggles the mind almost. It's just a huge place. It's a perfect place. You know, people are going to actually get along. No more crying, no more pain, no more wars, no more this, all the negatives. And, uh, and I was reflecting on this, though, in a more personal way as we've gone through these trials. You know, I, was, I was telling you some time ago that it'll be good to see mom and dad and uh, some of the relatives and the guys that we used to work with in the church and they preceded us. Great hosts there cheering you on. But I really, I really look forward. I really look forward to seeing Jesus. He's been my best friend almost all my life. And, uh, but he's been a friend. There's one dimension lacking, and that's by sight. I believe by faith. I trust the word of others and many others in terms of who Jesus is and how he relates to me. 
I have his spirit within me that's the earnest, the down payment of eternal life. Um, there are many different ways the church validates Jesus like no other institution. You couldn't possibly have the kinds of people who come to church getting along at all if it wasn't for Jesus. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, it's just, it's just, I just can't quite grasp what that will be like. And I'm looking forward to it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of heaven in a nutshell for me personally. Yeah. It's just, you know, relationships. We were made for relationships. God said, let us make mankind in our own image. He is a social being in relationship. And they'll be protected there. And it's, it's even better than the Narnian tales. Mm -hmm. My dad understands the, the importance and the concept of relationships, you know, with, with God and, and with one another. I know people have asked, you know, uh, well, are our loved ones, are they like guardian angels, you know, looking down on us, helping us through? You know, we know that they're not angels based on last week's conversation. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Now, this cloud of witnesses, depending on what your understanding of when you get to heaven, you know, could be one of two things. One, yes, you know, they're able to look down, you know, on us. Or no, the, cl the cloud of witnesses is actually those who are even currently now cheering us on and encouraging us in the faith. Uh, then this question, you know, is the number one question, you know, that we got as it pertained to relationships. Will there be marriage? Okay, will there be marriage? Some of you are like, please, yes. Others of you are like, please, no, <laughs> based on some of the questions that came in. Uh, there were these guys called the Sadducees. Uh, they were also religious leaders, you know, of Jesus' day. The difference between them and what was called the Pharisees, Pharisees who were religious leaders, is they did not believe in the resurrection from the dead. That was their big stance. They didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. So they came to Jesus and they asked him this question. Teacher, they said to Jesus, uh, Moses said, if any man dies without children, his brother should marry the widow and have a child who will carry on the brother's name. You know, now this makes sense because in that culture, uh, the name and the lineage is incredibly important. But secondly, economically, who's going to take care of the widow? And so it was up to the family members, especially the male side of the family members, to adopt, to marry, to continue on, you know, the family lineage, you know, on behalf of their love for their brother. So what they say is, suppose there are seven brothers, okay, and they pose this to Jesus. The oldest one married, but then died without children, so his brother married the widow. But the second brother also died, and the third brother married her. This continued for seven of them. Okay, this is where I, I kind of put on a different hat, and I'm like, if I am brother number four, ain't no way I'm marrying this woman. She is poisoning the water. She is putting something in the food. There is no way seven brothers who are trying to do this, and she ain't dying, you know, so sorry, that's just Dan's, you know, weird humor, I guess, you know, not biblical at all. So anyway, so, uh, so they, they asked Jesus, and here's what Jesus, you know, replies, because who will be married to her is what they say, for all seven were married to her. And some of the questions you had as well, like, wait a minute, if there's marriage in heaven, uh, what about, I've had 
spouses who passed away and then I got remarried or, you know, some of those kind of circumstances. Matthew twenty two thirty, Jesus says this, for when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels. So there will not be marriage in heaven. And I know at first you might say, well, that's, that's really sad, you know, and, and there is a part of our perspective of sadness, but remember, God always does something far greater than we could ask or imagine. And there's not going to be sadness or mourning or crying or shame, you know, when it comes to heaven. See, one of the purposes of marriage is not to replace heaven, but actually for us to practice for heaven. One of the, the, the purposes that God wanted us to get married to is that we would experience, at least at some level, the hope and God's ordained plan of marriage is to really be known and known others most fully in the context of marriage. To experience intimacy at its deepest human moment. That's the goal, that's the design, that's the hope of what marriage is supposed to look like, and yet we find that it's still incomplete, but we get little glimpses of that. How much more so is it going to be when it comes to heaven? See, we're not only going to have these deep, intimate relationships with one another, not just one person, our spouse, but many others, and even more so with Jesus Christ and Him to us. What a longing, what a fulfillment that our hearts and minds long for. In fact, Ephesians 5, chapter, verse 31 says, that the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother, is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great ministry, but it's the illustration of like Christ and his church are one. So he's saying is that that kind of intimate connection is what awaits for us in heaven. Now let me be perfectly clear. My wife, Carolina, is absolutely my best friend. Married over 20 years. And she knows more intimately about me and I know about her than anyone else will ever know on this side of eternity. So the idea of not being married to her in heaven can feel like a loss until I realize, no, all the issues that we've ever had in marriage are going to be gone and our intimacy is going to go to a whole other level when we go into heaven. We just won't have the covenant of marriage because we will not need that. Like, let me give you an example. People here on earth, can work together and have deep and meaningful relationships, right? People can be neighbors and have deep and meaningful relationships. Maybe some of your deep and most meaningful relationships is with other people when it comes to the hobbies that you're interested. But what happens when that person that you have deep, meaningful relationship with stops working at your company, moves out of the area, or stops the hobby? Does the relationship end? doesn't have to. Relationships should continue and same should it be with Jesus. Be encouraged by this. God usually doesn't replace his original creation. But when he does, he replaces it with something that is far better, never worse. So may that be an encouragement. Uh, others have asked, well, will we know our children? You know, as our children, what's, what's that going to be like? There's every reason to believe that we're going to pick right up where we left off. You know, when it comes to these relationships, you will know one another according to the scriptures. But they're just going to be now deeper and you're going to have new ones as well, as we talked a lot about last week. What about miscarriages? What about abortions? Yes, we will meet those who proceeded ahead of us, even if they weren't born. How do we know this? Because John the Baptist, before he was born, God says that he leapt in his mother Elizabeth's womb when he had, she had a conversation with Mary. So there was already life that was taking place. God told Jeremiah that he'd known him since before he was formed in his mother's womb. That God already knew him and had their relationship. David said this about the infant who passed away, you know, in, you know, his relationship with Bathsheba. He says these words, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. There's going to be connection, you know, in heaven. Now, perhaps these children 
it's just Dan thinking, this isn't scriptural, but maybe they'll be one of the first people to greet us, introduce themselves to us, and they'll be able to show us around of what it looks like. Some people have asked, well, will they still be infants? That means you weren't here last week. You can go last week, and we can process through that as well. So that's a good idea of what relationships will look at look like in heaven. We will be home, part of a perfect family, family dynamic with God, and a harmonious relationship with one another because of Jesus Christ. It's going to be amazing. Now, knowing about heaven, here's the whole point of this, should compel us to live for Jesus here on earth. Having knowledge about what's to come in all of Scripture actually enhanced what people's lives were really like because they understood, wait a minute, there's something real that awaits us, so now I'm going to live different than other people around me. Matthew 4.19, Jesus says this is what it means to be a follower of him. It's to follow Jesus, and he's going to make us fishers of men. That we're on this journey with Jesus on this side of eternity that starts and it continues all the way through heaven. So you and I get to practice the things of heaven by following Jesus. I mean, I hopefully you've gotten a little bit of a taste in these last three weeks. How many times did we reference? Well, it's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. You're getting little bits, little tastes, little experiences of what heaven's like so that you can be like, man, that's just going to be enhanced. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be amazing. All these things that are yet to come, you and I get a chance to practice in our best attempt to fulfill that here on this earth. And when you do, you start living differently. Other people in our culture should notice, wait a minute, these people aren't quite right they're not living the same way that we live. They're not putting all of their eggs into this earthly basket. They're processing through going, wait a minute, there's something different with how these followers of Christ live because true followers of Christ live in the reality that there's a heaven. And so all of a sudden you view relationships a little bit different. You mourn a little bit differently. You do your finances a little bit differently, all in light of heaven. In fact, a guy by the name of Jim Elliott, who understood this probably better than anybody else, says this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. What a great reminder. In fact, this next week, uh, we're going to be kicking off uh, our next series called Real Life of the Movies, uh, starting on Father's Day. And, and one of the reasons that we want to talk about is we want to keep talking about relationships. So this is going to be a relationship series that we're going to look at for the next three or four weeks. And this first one is going to deal with fathers and kids. Fathers and kids. And so we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about that. And then as an illustration, we're going to pull in different movie clips that's going to illustrate this. Well, this next week's film that we're going to use illustrations for is I Can Only Imagine. Some of you guys are like, well, I've never heard of that film. It's a Christian film. I hate Christian films. Let me encourage you. This is a good one. And so I'd encourage you to watch it before you come into next week because I think it might prepare you for some of the things that we're going to be talking about when it comes to how we practice some of these relationships on this side of eternity. Secondly, do we have a passion for those who've not yet accepted Christ? In light of eternity, knowing that it's a real place that we're going to, does it drive us, does it compel us to passion? 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and our joy. See, the only thing you and I could take with us when we die is other people. And so we should live with a fervency, a passion. Everybody in the Bible, especially the New Testament, lived with this uh, idea that life is just a mist. And so they would do anything that they could 
to try to reach people who are far from God, to let them know of the grace of God and give them chance after chance after chance because they were absolutely convinced that there was a heaven and they wanted people to be there. So as a church, one of the ways that we try to remind us every single week is this thing called the baptistry. On the baptistry, there are names that are written down. There's pens on the outside of people who are constantly praying for someone who does not know Jesus Christ that's in your sphere of influence. Family member, friend, coworker, neighbor, you know, whoever it may be. And so you're writing those people down. And those who are circled are those who've actually come to know Jesus Christ. So every time you see someone that gets baptized, hopefully that's a trigger for you to keep praying and be reminded of the investment that we need to do on this side of eternity that leads us into the next. The second reminder is the cross. No, our lights are not broken. You know, the cross, every single one of those lights is those, somebody who's accepted Christ and then made the decision after accepting Christ to be baptized in him. If you walk over the cross, every single one of those lights, they wrote their name after they got baptized. Just sim- symbolic of what God has done. I think it's like 125 so far this year, you know, that God has done through you guys. And so what a reminder for us. Do we live with that passion, that sense of urgency, that sense of never giving up, our lives given for the sake of something greater, something bigger, because this is not our home? Speaking of which, do we live with an eternal mindset? Do we live with an eternal mindset? In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, it says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in his glory in heaven. That's what he's talking about. How often have I made decisions for my family? How often have you made decisions for your family based on what's best for the family, not based on the reality of heaven? How often have you made job decisions based on what's best that you think financially instead of thinking about, well, what's best in terms of the reality of heaven? All of a sudden, if heaven is a filter that you're using in making decisions while you're here on earth, it will change some of the decisions that you make because you're not thinking that this is your only place. You're, You're having your heart, your mind, your soul focused on what's coming next. And no matter how bad things get, heaven should be a reminder that there will be a better day. It's the greatest encouragement. It's the greatest rock that you can have that because of Jesus Christ, no matter how bad, how much loss, how much turmoil, how much pain, how much suffering I may experience on this side because of Jesus, there will be a better day. In fact, um, there was a woman who passed, who was about three months away from passing away and she had explored every option in order to get better. All the medical ways of, of healing had exhausted, been exhausted, and so she came to grips with the reality that in her later years of life, she was going to go to heaven. So she called her pastor, you know, in and kind of informed him of the news, and, and so she, what she wanted to meet with him about, she wanted to talk to him about her funeral service, about her memorial. And so they laughed, they cried together as they discussed which songs would be sung, uh, who would talk, you know, at the service, uh, what, what scriptures would be read, and she wanted to put some of her favorites in there. And then he was, got up to leave and thanked her for the time and really appreciated her faithfulness to Jesus and to one another. And as he's walking out the door, she says, oh, oh wait, 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 I forgot. There's, there's one other thing. He says, what's that? She says, I, I want to have an open casket at my service. And, and, and I want to wear my, my favorite Sunday dress, and I want my Bible to be in one hand, I want a fork to be in another. 
So he looks at her and says, what, what's, what's up with the fork? You know, and she, says, she said, as I've grown up in church, and as I've gone out to eat at fancier pla- places, uh, they've always taken your plate, and at some point they say, hey, keep your fork because something better is coming. And I knew they were talking about dessert, chocolate cake or pie or, or something else. Whenever they said that phrase, I knew that something better was coming. And so here's what I want to do. He says, when I have people walk in front and they see me in my casket and they look puzzled at the fork, I want you to remind them that something better is coming. And so at her service, people marched through and they looked and they had the same puzzle and the pastor just began to smile and he told the story of what the woman wanted to be shared to them. And then he said to them, and I would say to us today, that every time from this point on that you look down at your fork, regardless of what's going on, that you and I would be reminded that something better is coming. That because of Jesus, something better is coming. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to, these last three weeks especially, to be reinforced with the reality of heaven because of your son, Jesus. Help us, Father, to live in light of that truth. Help us to live in light of that confidence and that no matter how things turn out, how things go in our life, decisions that we have made or things that have been done outside of our control that brings hardship and difficulty and pain, may we focus on the reality of heaven and that may something as simple as a fork remind us that something better is coming. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.